Purpose Media Networks. This is America's First News. This morning with your host, Gordon Deal. Deadly campus shooting. Good morning, I'm Gordon Deal, along with Jennifer Koshenka on this Thursday, December 7th. Glad you could be with us. Here's what we have for you this hour. Police in Las Vegas have killed a gunman who they say fatally shot three people and wounded another on the campus of UNLV. In politics, Nikki Haley came under fire in the latest presidential debate and former House Speaker Kevin McCarthy is quitting Congress. Talks could soon heat up on Capitol Hill over border security measures now that Republicans have blocked additional funding for Ukraine. And what we fight about with our partner when we battle over money. So underneath that fight about, you know, movie tickets or that fight about rent or that fight about who paid what is a series of themes that that we can point to and say, okay, this is the real reason for the fight. One of those is uneven contributions. Julia Carpenter at the Wall Street Journal on how the way we use money is a reflection of our values. Authorities in Nevada are trying to understand why a lone shooter opened fire on the main campus of the University of Nevada, Las Vegas, killing three people and wounding a fourth before the suspect was fatally shot by police. Investigators declined to publicly identify the assailant other than telling the Wall Street Journal that he was an older man who was not a student nor did they give information about the four victims struck by gunfire. Sheriff Kevin McMahill of the Las Vegas Metropolitan Police Department says the surviving gunshot victim was listed in stable condition. If it hadn't been for the heroic actions of one of those police officers who responded, there could have been countless additional lives taken. No motive was mentioned. The school is closed through tomorrow. The UNLV campus, located less than two miles east of the Las Vegas Strip, as a student enrollment of some 25,000 undergrads and 8,000 postgraduates and doctoral candidates. Trying to slow the momentum of Nikki Haley, Republican presidential candidates Ron DeSantis and Vivek Ramaswamy wasted no time in taking shots at the former South Carolina governor in their latest debate, Mr. Ramaswamy. Nikki Haley was heaping praise on me when I wrote that book, but now I worry I was warning about the woke industrial complex in this country as a warning. Apparently she read it as a how-to manual. Former President Trump has skipped all four debates and was subject to mild criticism from Haley. As much as everybody wants to talk about how Donald Trump had a good economy, $9 trillion in debt he did just in four years. And we're all paying the price of that. Former New Jersey Governor Chris Christie was the only one of the four willing to go after Trump, who has a big lead in polls. He also called out Ramaswamy for insulting Haley. The fourth debate that you would be voted in the first 20 minutes as the most obnoxious blowhard in America. So <laughs> shut up for a while. Haley, by the way, has cut into DeSantis's lead in national polls while building a substantial edge in New Hampshire and her home state of South Carolina. The debate was hosted by News Nation in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. Well, Nikki Haley was at just 3% when she got on the debate stage in late August and started taking shots at her rivals. Her poll numbers immediately began to rise. There is no one happier right now than Putin because all of the attention America had on Ukraine suddenly went to Israel. And that's what they were hoping is going to happen. That was her at the debate last night. Fifteen weeks later, the three debates before last night so far have reordered the Republican presidential primary field, most notably propelling the former South Carolina governor out of a distant seventh place. Analysis from Steve Shepard, senior campaigns editor at Politico. Steve set this up. 
Well, look, when she when when we had this first debate back in August, and of course, you know, Donald Trump famously skipped it, uh, as he has for the subsequent three now. Uh, Nikki Haley was at three percent in the polls. She was actually I looked at the five thirty eight. Uh, polling national polling average, and she was in seventh place in this race. And now in the national polls, she is breathing down Ron DeSantis's neck for second. She's moved into second in New Hampshire behind Donald Trump and third in Iowa, you know, have it, whereas DeSantis has sort of lagged in New Hampshire. Um, if that upward trajectory were to continue over the next uh, five and a half weeks between now and the Iowa caucuses, uh, you know, she might be poised for a second place and perhaps a close second place finish in Iowa, the kind of thing that might give her a ticket and let her emerge as the leading anti-Trump candidate. Uh, the debates have clearly helped her. Uh, you know, you look at polling of debate watchers after uh, these first few debates. This, um, you know, they, they say that she has performed well in each of the debates. And we'll see with, with the new one now uh, whether that trend continues. But this has been the rocket fuel for her campaign. Now, I, I want to do just want to caution she and Ron DeSantis and Chris Christie are still significantly behind Donald Trump. And Donald Trump has also used his absence from these debates to, to deny his competitors oxygen and strengthen his grip on, on this primary. So what is it about Nikki Haley? Because often I think, uh, you know, debates are said to be kind of I don't know, you, more, you can do more damage to yourself than good, I guess, but she's done a lot of good. Why? She, she wittier? She, she quicker? What, what, what is it? Yeah, I certainly think the uh, aggressiveness she's showed from sort of the first debate straight through uh, contrasted her a little bit from her competitors. You know, Ron DeSantis famously entered the first debate wanting to stay above the fray, wanting to look like the only person on that stage who could be a potential president. And that reflected his position in the polls ahead of all the other candidates that were out there. That was his strategy, avoid as much of the incoming as possible, get his message out there without punching down at the other candidates. The problem is for, for Ron DeSantis now, uh, punching at Nikki Haley is not punching down, it's punching laterally because she has almost caught him uh, and has caught and passed him in New Hampshire. Uh, so this is this is turned into this, uh, you know, dynamic for him that, that that's that's changed for Nikki Haley. It's been consistent across these debates. You know, in the second debate, there was a moment between she and Senator Tim Scott, her fellow South Carolinian, uh, in which the moderators clearly tried to set up a conflict between Scott and Haley. They asked Scott. Scott kind of let the pitch go by. They went to Haley and Haley attacked Tim Scott and Tim Scott stood there like I thought we had a deal here yeah. uh, that she has been aggressive from the get go and it's panned out for her so far. We're speaking with Steve Shepard, senior campaigns editor at Politico. His piece is called The Debates Mattered. They just didn't knock out Trump. Um, what happened to Vivek Ramaswamy? Uh, like a yeah. darling after debate one and then has kind of fizzled. Why? It, it did seem like, uh, you know, entering that first debate with a wave of momentum, the opportunity for voters to discover him. Uh, you know, he came on very strong in that first debate and perhaps a little too strong. You saw him dial it back for the second debate and, and try to show some humility. That didn't really work either. Uh, and so then he was aggressive again for the third debate. Uh, it's been kind of a seesaw for Vivek Ramaswamy. Uh, it does seem that the more Republican primary voters get to see him, the less they like him. Uh, that's obviously a problem as we move 
uh, into the kind of immediate run-up before Iowa, New Hampshire, which will uh, really get going once we come back after the new year. So, uh, you know, what an opportunity for him maybe to kind of regroup, but uh, things have been trending in the wrong direction ever first ever since he made that first debut on the debate stage. Thanks, Steve. Steve Shepard, Senior Campaigns Editor at Politico. Dell's Cyber Monday event is their biggest sale of the year. Shop limited-time deals on laptops like the stylish, innovative XPS 13, engineered to do it all on the Intel Evo platform. Plus, save big on ultra-sharp monitors and top-brand accessories. Shop now at dell.com deals to take advantage of huge savings and free shipping. Again, that's dell.com deals. Thanks for joining us. A big blow on Capitol Hill for those in favor of sending more aid to Ukraine. Democrats' $111 billion foreign aid measure was blocked by Republicans in an initial procedural vote yesterday. Speaking before the vote, President Biden warned that failure to pass new aid could lead the U.S. into direct conflict with Russia if it wins. Frankly, I think it's stunning that we've gotten to this point in the first place. While Congress, Republicans in Congress are willing to give Putin the greatest gift he could hope for and abandon our global leadership, <clears throat> not just Ukraine, but beyond that. However, the f- defeat could energize bipartisan talks over border security measures that Republicans have demanded as a condition for support. Tom Cotton from Arkansas. We had 12,000 migrants cross our border, and an increasing concern that these migrants could be uh, camouflaging potential foreigners who want to attack Americans. Uh, So we have to address the situation at the border. U.S. assistance to Ukraine has topped $100 billion since Russia's invasion. This portion of the program is brought to you by Omaha Steaks. If you're racking your brain trying to come up with the ultimate holiday gift, look no further than omahasteaks.com. Skip the candles and ornaments this year. Let Omaha Steaks take the guesswork out of gifting. Visit omahasteaks.com and save 50% off site-wide. Plus, when you use the promo code DEAL at checkout, get an additional 30 bucks off your order. Send tender, juicy, butcher's cut filet mignons, mouth-watering burgers, gourmet jumbo franks, or easy-to-prepare meals that are ready in a flash. This offer won't last long. Omaha Steaks is ready to ship now. Go to omahasteaks.com and use promo code DEAL at checkout. Omaha Steaks is a gift from the heart. Know you're ordering the very best. Visit omahasteaks.com. Take advantage of 50% off site-wide. Plus, use promo code DEAL at checkout to get that extra $30 off your order. Minimum order may be required. omahasteaks.com and the code DEAL. Again, omahasteaks.com and use the code DEAL. 20 minutes after the hour on this morning. Here's Jennifer Koshenka. And now, the three big things you need to know. Number one. Terrified students and professors cowered in classrooms and dorms as a gunman roamed the floors of a UNLV building yesterday, killing three people and wounding a fourth before dying in a shootout with police. University Police Services President Adam Garcia. Officers immediately responded, engaged the suspect. The suspect at this point is deceased. The AP says the gunman was a male professor in his 60s who had unsuccessfully sought a job at the school. Police did not immediately identify the victims. Number two. Police in Texas say a man killed parents, his parents, at the start of a shooting spree. They killed a total of six and injured three others. Bear County Sheriff Javier Salazar says 34-year-old Shane James carried out the rampage that began in San Antonio Monday and ended in Austin Tuesday. We've got Phyllis James, 55 years of age, 
and Shane M. James Sr. He's 56 years of age. These are believed to be the parents of the suspect that's currently in custody. James is also charged with murdering four people in Austin. Police say he has been discharged from the Army because of a domestic violence incident. Number three. The son of Republican Senator Kevin Creamer of North Dakota was driving a stolen SUV being pursued by police when it crashed and killed a deputy Wednesday evening. Kramer said in a statement his 42-year-old son Ian was, quote, involved in a police chase which resulted in an accident that killed an officer. Ian suffers from serious mental disorders which manifest in severe paranoia and hallucinations. The Highway Patrol says it's still investigating the crash. Former House Speaker Kevin McCarthy says he won't run for re-election and will exit Congress at the end of the year, further narrowing his GOP colleagues' majority in the chamber. The announcement comes two months after McCarthy was ousted as Speaker. Let me tell you something, Mr. Bunker. No, let me tell you something, Mr. Stivic. You are a meathead. <laughs> I'm meathead. Dead from the neck up. Meathead. Norman Lear, producer of some of the most groundbreaking TV shows of all time, including All in the Family, which you just heard a clip from, The Jeffersons and Sanford and Son, has died at the age of 101. By the 1974-75 season, Lear was behind five of the ten most-watched programs. And across the 70s, whether it was race, gender, or single parenthood, Lear used his power to create sitcoms that reflected worlds that had rarely, if ever, been seen on TV before. Meathead. Thank you, Jen. When couples argue over money, the real source of the conflict usually is not on their bank statement. Julia Carpenter, reporter at the Wall Street Journal, looked at what the fights are really about. Julia, what have you found? So I looked at this research from Johanna Peetz and her co-author. They both are a team of social scientists at Carleton University in Ottawa, and they were looking at more than 1,000 posts from our relationships, which is a subreddit all about relationship questions. And these posts that they were looking at were about conflicts over money, fights over money, how couples talk about money. And from there, they identified these major themes that they saw people working with. Mm, okay. So walk us through that then, because it's uh, money may be the straw that broke the camel's back, but there's typically something else going on. Totally, totally. So underneath that fight about you know movie tickets or that fight about rent or that fight about who paid what is a series of themes that that we can point to and say, okay, this is the real reason for the fight. One of those is uneven contributions. So that's one person is doing way more than their fair share, the other person isn't, or it's how the other person perceives it. One of them is perceived irresponsibility. So one person not staying accountable to the goals that the other person has set. Shared values. Uh, so the things that they've agreed upon are important to them and important to their household and one-sided decision-making. So one person sort of taking the power of the decision away from the other person. Mm. So I think a lot of people hear those themes and they can immediately map on a fight that they've had about money onto those themes. You know, they can think, okay, that huge blow up we had about Christmas travel, that's you know, one-sided decision-making, or that's uh, the shared values. And they can see then what is behind the sort of superficial fight. Wow. One of the uh, experts you spoke to referenced how we need to recognize patterns. What, what did he mean? So when you see those patterns, you realize what is happening. So th this sort of helps you finding these themes helps you then understand, all right, we're not really fighting about movie tickets, or all right, we're not really fighting about this. It's because I see my partner as being irresponsible when they buy the super fancy movie tickets, or I perceive that they're not 
staying accountable to our shared values. And you're able then to look at the patterns and identify what the issue is that you need to work on as a household. Mm. We're speaking with Julia Carpenter, personal finance reporter at the Wall Street Journal. She's got a good story called What We Fight About When We Fight About Money. What else uh, stood out as you were pulling this together? You know, what was interesting is I interviewed a couple and they've been married for decades. And I asked them, you know, when when they think about this and this research, how do they see it as it applies to their life and sort of how they've worked through these issues? And they immediately started talking about the shared values that when they first got together, they agreed that they were willing to compromise certain things in order to stay accountable to those shared values. Thanks, Julia. Julia Carpenter, personal finance reporter at The Wall Street Journal. Did you know traditional bed sheets harbor as much bacteria as a toilet seat? The germs in your sheets can cause acne, allergies, stuffy noses, and other gross ailments. Fears, though, that you can put to bed with Miracle Made bed sheets. Miracle Made uses silver infused fabrics inspired by NASA that are thermoregulating to keep you at a perfect temperature all night. Miracle Made is self cleaning, self cooling, luxurious, eco friendly bedding designed to protect your skin for more restorative rest. My wife and I love them. Now, my listeners can have a clean night's sleep while saving over 40% and sleep cool all summer and warm all winter. The website, trymiracle.com slash Gordon. Claim your free three-piece towel set and save over 40% at checkout. Miracle-made products are backed with a 30-day money-back guarantee. Again, the website, trymiracle.com slash Gordon. trymiracle.com slash Gordon to save big. You can sleep cool, comfy, and clean. Miracle-made bedding, NASA-inspired for out-of-this-world comfort. Sleep clean with Miracle. The top stories and expert interviews that make sense of what you care about. This is America's First News. This morning with Gordon Deal. Thanks for spending time with us. Welcome into Thursday, December 7. Gordon Deal, Jennifer Koshenka. Some of our top stories and headlines. Three people killed in a shooting on the campus of the University of Nevada, Las Vegas. DeSantis and Haley battle in the latest presidential debate. Energy for border talks after Republicans blocked Ukraine funding. New restaurant concept from McDonald's opening Cosmics, which will focus on the takeout of specialty drinks. Another $5 billion in student loan debt canceled. It's National Pearl Harbor Remembrance Day. Patriots and Steelers in Thursday night football. And how a man earned the trust of a hardened shelter dog in Texas. That story in about 20 minutes. Millions of small business owners are battling to stay afloat amid rising economic headwinds and slowing consumer demand. In less than four years, small firms more vulnerable to economic whims than their larger counterparts, have been forced to navigate pandemic shutdowns and restrictions, supply chain slowdowns, labor shortages, and rising prices. Megan Casella, economics reporter at Barron's, says now there's a new challenge, tightening credit conditions. Megan, explain. Yeah, these small firms are are pretty much under the gun. They've had a pretty brutal four years, right? They had pandemic closures, then they had all these reopening restrictions. They've had labor shortages, high input costs from inflation, and now they're really feeling the burn from higher interest rates, which is primarily hitting them through, you know, tighter lending conditions. It's harder to get the loans that they need. And partly as a result or simultaneously, 
they're putting more on their credit cards and they're paying more in interest. And so this really matters more for small firms than large ones, partly because their loans tend to turn over faster, meaning they have to refinance at higher levels sooner than their large firms do. And large firms just have, of course, bigger balance sheets to deal with this. So they're sort of trying to juggle, you know, not raising prices too much, not wanting to drive customers away, but they're still seeing some slowdowns in sales and they're forecasting that those will continue at the same time that they're having to pay more for interest and, and fight harder to get a loan. Man. All right. So I, President Biden is on the campaign trail uh, saying that the, the economy is in good shape. Small business owners differ, at least in, in, in some cases. At least in some cases they do. And it's it's sort of a microcosm of what we're seeing in the economy writ large in that the economic data is really quite good. So President Biden can go out there and cite any number of economic indicators and say, look, we've really got this very strong economy and he's not wrong. But small business owners, like a lot of consumers and households writ large, aren't feeling that. They feel like maybe inflation isn't going up quite as quickly as it was a year ago, but prices aren't falling. They're still quite high. And on a different front on these loans, it's actually getting even harder than it was. And and they're seeing customers start to hold back at least somewhat and, and shop for deals and that kind of thing. So, you know, I think there's just this disconnect and small business owners can recognize that parts of the economy are doing well. That doesn't mean that they feel it in their in their store and their company. Mm. We're speaking with Megan Casella, economics reporter at Barron's. Her story is called, As the Fed Works to Slow Economy, Small Businesses Feel the Squeeze. Explain why access to financing is so crucial for small businesses. Small businesses, you know, as their name suggests, they start, they start out really small, right? Often it's just one person who has an idea. And so they need that financing to grow because as one person talked to me about for this story, small businesses, when they're successful, become our large businesses. And there's so many of them that they're responsible for something like 44% of all economic activity in the U.S. and something like two-thirds of all net new jobs. And so once small businesses reach a point, as many of them are starting to now, that they can't expand, that either they have to just kind of stay humming along as maybe a one, two or three man shop and they can't hire more people, that's when the economy starts to feel it. Some of those businesses might have to shut their doors. Some of them might just stay smaller than they are. I talked to one restaurant owner who has one location that's you know battled obstacle after obstacle, but is staying open. But he really wants to open at least one more location. And he right now just can't find the financing that he would need in order to do that. And so that's when it starts to become a bigger economic problem is that it's not just a one-off problem for these individual firms. It's that if so many of them at once can't expand and can't start to create more jobs, then the labor market loosens up a little bit, the economy starts to slow. Are these part of the the warning signs you referenced that, that small businesses are floating? Yes, absolutely. I mean, I think they're uh, they're not we're not seeing widespread bankruptcies or that sort of thing that would be a major warning sign but this is it could be you know a canary in the coal mine if you will because they're starting to recognize they can't grow and expand the way they want to yeah uh, so I- explain further I guess di- dive down into kind of these tightening credit conditions that you referenced here. Yes so we're seeing this in in one survey after the next there's not a ton of data just focused on small businesses, but we're starting to see it in sort of the Fed's lending survey and small business surveys where uh, companies or organizations talk to owners. What we're seeing in these surveys is that small business owners are having trouble finding the financing that they want. They might not be getting um, the size of the loan that they want. They might 
be having to put up more collateral or jump through more hoops or have a better credit score than they once did in order to, to get that loan, a lot of them are turning to credit cards. Some 30% of small businesses are using credit cards for financing, which of course is one of the most expensive ways to finance a business. Thanks, Megan. Megan Casella, economics reporter at Barron's. Today's mic drop is brought to you by Dell. For your small business needs, call a Dell Technologies advisor today at 877-ASK-DELL. Hey, glad you're with us. Welcome into Friday Eve. It is time now for the mic drop with this morning's Mike Gavin. Good morning. Well, if you're getting excited about heading out to a restaurant this weekend, you might want to think twice before posting that perfect food pic to Instagram. It could cost you. The New York Post says one diner in China ran into this problem after she posted a picture of a recent meal on social media. Unfortunately, an image of the table's QR code was also posted in the picture, and shortly thereafter, the bill came for a mind-boggling sixty thousand dollars. It seems that scammers had used the QR code to put a massive amount of food on the woman's tab, including 2,500 orders of squid and nearly 10,000 orders of shrimp. Even after she deleted the pic, she continued to be inundated with orders. Fortunately, staffers didn't make her pay for the extra items and moved her to a new table to distinguish the real orders from the frauds. To prevent future free-for-alls, the restaurant has revised its ordering system, so orders can only be placed within a certain distance. Oh, I see. So, you know, see. not actually said a human up to take the order. Yeah. We're not going to do that at huh. any point still. Right. We're just going to revise the technology a little bit. I'm surprised that uh, the restaurant was able to sort of cobble together 10,000 orders of shrimp or 2,500 yeah. orders of squid. I mean, it's, you know, they, they weren't actually delivered to her table, I yeah, don't believe. No, I that would have that. been a pretty large table. Yeah. But, uh, you know, the fact that even they they brought the bill over like, right. without actually cutting, you know what, maybe there's something wrong yeah. here. Uh, uh, I don't know. The, yeah. Everything at this restaurant seems just a tad bit off. Right. Is this a party for 900? <laughs> like, how did we get an order for 10,000 yeah. orders of shrimp? It, yeah, it seems common here. sense is lacking in a lot of different uh, areas here. Bottom line, the QR code does not go with your dopey food picture at a restaurant. <laughs> and by the way, this is something that always irks me. Yeah. When somebody goes to a restaurant and takes a picture of the food, mm -hmm. and that's it. Right. Like if it's Facebook or Instagram, I want to see you. Yeah. I, I want to see you with the food. I could find a picture of that food anywhere, including probably a better one on the restaurant's website. Yeah. Stop posting pictures of just the food. <laughs> You're not a professional photographer or a food critic. Wow. I want to see you. <laughs> yes. Just hold the plate next to your face. It's fine. I want to see you. Whoa. That's why we're there for pictures of you, not pictures of food. All right. You, okay. heard, it, you heard it here first. Thank Gordon you. Deal coming off the top rope. Have a good day. Food picks. And it's a fantasy for many to get revenge on a former employer who fired them, though they rarely take video and post it for the world to see. That's not the case for a former Walmart worker who decided to pay his old store a visit. The man named Ray, whose TikTok account is full of his takes on the life of a minimum wage worker, decided to exact some small revenge on Walmart after he claimed he was unfairly fired without notice. Now, his revenge tactics are making people laugh after he does things like take toys off the shelf and place them on the floor or take a tricycle off the bike rack and then put it back in the wrong spot. At one point, he's seen lifting weights in the exercise aisle. Later, the store's motives for firing Ray become more apparent when he says, even though I got to work late every single day, I left early every single day. I took three-hour lunches every single day. My department was always finished. A follow-up video revealed that he was just joking around. Yeah, I mean, it was obvious that he was just making this up. But what 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 struck me is twenty eight thousand likes. Yeah, well, yeah, like, people thought, thought this was interesting or funny. This is dumb. <laughs>
Yeah. Just, just dumb. I mean, he made it up. I mean, uh, welcome to TikTok, Gordon. Frustrating. <laughs> nice to have you here. We got to get on TikTok. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Dell's Cyber Monday event is their biggest sale of the year. Shop limited time deals on laptops like the stylish, innovative XPS 13, engineered to do it all on the Intel Evo platform. Plus, save big on ultra-sharp monitors and top-brand accessories. Shop now at dell.com deals to take advantage of huge savings and free shipping. Again, that's dell.com deals. Edgy. Smart. Bringing you what you need to know. This is America's First News. This morning with Gordon Deal. Thanks for being with us. Money tips for December, courtesy of money.com. Number one, enroll in Medicare or adjust your plan by today. Medicare recipients or individuals 65 and older who will need health insurance by January 1st don't want to miss the enrollment deadline. You can visit medicare.gov to find out if you need to sign up or call 1-800-MEDICARE for assistance. Also, second money move for this month, avoid holiday spending debt by tapping into season-long sales. In years past, if you weren't one of the millions of people hitting malls and shopping centers over Black Friday weekend, some of the season's best deals would have already been behind you by now. But holiday deals and promotions are starting earlier and running later these days, which means there's still plenty of time to find sales and promotions. Eight minutes in front of the hour on this morning. Once again, here's Jennifer Koshenko. And now, the three big things you need to know. Number one. A shooter at UNLV sprayed bullets into crowds at two campus buildings during a lunchtime assault Wednesday that killed at least three and caused panic among students who ran in horror from end-of-semester classes before the shooter was gunned down by police. All of us just heard somebody scream, like, gun, like, there's a gun. ABC has identified the suspect as 67-year-old Anthony Polito. The AP says the shooter was a professor who unsuccessfully sought a job at the school. Number two. In last night's Republican primary debate, Ron DeSantis and Vivek Ramaswamy both attacked Nikki Haley's economic views and financial ties. Haley's surge in polls has sparked a recent wave of donations from Wall Street veterans and other high-profile donors. The heat from Ramaswamy. After you left the UN, you became a military contractor, You actually started joining service on the board of Boeing, whose back you scratched for a very long time, and then gave foreign multinational speeches like Hillary Clinton is, and now you're a multimillionaire. That math does not add up. The fact that Haley's ties to corporations, once closely aligned with the GOP, brought attacks from DeSantis and Ramaswamy shows just how populist the party has become. President Biden says he's willing to make significant compromises on U.S. border policy if Congress will approve additional aid for Ukraine, a deal he says Republicans won't seriously negotiate. Republicans think they get everything they want without any bipartisan compromise. That's not the answer. That's not the answer. And now they're willing to literally kneecap Ukraine on the battlefield and damage our national security in the process. Republicans have demanded changes on immigration policy in exchange for tens of billions of dollars in military and economic assistance for Ukraine. The U.S. military grounded hundreds of V-22 Osprey aircraft following a fatal crash last week off the coast of Japan. The Navy and the Marine Corps joined the Air Force in suspending flying the aircraft as the Air Force investigates last week's crash that claimed the lives of eight airmen. 
Iowa basketball superstar Caitlin Clark remains in a league of her own, netting her 3,000th career point in a 67-58 win over Iowa State last night. Clark is the first NCAA basketball player, man or woman, to score 3,000 points while recording 750 rebounds and 750 assists. I hope she has to study for an exam when she plays Rutgers. <laughs> Stay home, study, take the night off, but Caitlin, the men, relax. The men, yeah. the men. Oh, the men. Good no- How good about news. the recruiting class Dylan for the Harper. Rutgers men? Thanks, Jen. Glad you're with us. A Texas man has fallen head over heels for a dog that's heels over heads. Goodnewsnetwork.org says Alva the dog has wobbler syndrome, but that didn't stop Joe Rotunda arriving at Austin Pets Alive in November 2020 at just five months old. Alva was flea-ridden, malnourished, and in need of a helping paw. She had a hard time standing and walking because of the syndrome. After almost two years of shelter stays and foster care, the rigors of her life with wobblers plus multiple owners, had made her self-protective, territorial, and shy. Mr. Rotunda visited her at APA every single day for two months to earn her trust. And seeing that there was a potential end to Alva's difficulties, APA staff worked to provide more accommodations. Eventually, Alva was able to move in with him and his other dog. He outfitted his house with various ramps and padded corners to ensure she was safe. For Jennifer Koshenka and Mike Gavin, I'm Gordon Deal. Thanks for listening to This Morning, America's First News.